hppodcraft.com. Hello and welcome to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. We've got a great topic today for our bonus episode. It was suggested by a longtime friend of the show and patron, Lars Backstrom. We've actually chatted with Lars in the past on our first YouTube roundtable, which was on the philosophy of horror. All right. Uh, that was way back in 2013. Chris, you remember everything we did in 2013, don't you? I remember all things in 2013. 14 is a blur. (laughs) Well, Lars had a lot of insight during that discussion, but for today, the topic he's chosen is H.P. Lovecraft's work and Asperger's syndrome. So let me set this up with a message I I received from Lars about this. He wrote, I have a topic. It is about H.P. Lovecraft's texts and Asperger's syndrome. It is an advanced topic, but I think it is of great interest as both a literary analysis of his texts and to many of his readers and your listeners. You see, I do not like the horror genre at all, with one exception, which is H.P. Lovecraft. I did not fully understand why until I was diagnosed as being on the Asperger spectrum, i.e. a high-functioning autist. As I learned more about my disability, I saw the similarities to the experiences of his point-of-view characters in his stories and my own. The loneliness, fear, confusion, helplessness, isolation, and inability to communicate their experience a person on the autism spectrum feels is almost perfectly mirrored by the characters in the Lovecraftian universe. This is very personal to me, since I went through Lovecraftian hell before I was diagnosed and was then able to find employment as an IT consultant at a consultancy that only hires consultants on the autism spectrum. So this is indeed an advanced topic, and we we have to be very upfront about our lack of knowledge in this area. Chris, do you have any experience or knowledge about autism or or Asperger's? I really don't. I know very little about it. I'm very curious to learn. Well, I believe awareness of the autism spectrum is on the rise generally, and some speculate that this is because there's more of it, although experts in my limited reading do say the bulk of the increase in autism awareness stems from uh, changes to the condition's diagnostic criteria. In other words, more people are diagnosing it just because they know more about it. So, Mm. in other words, it's always been there. And I have to admit that most of what I know about Asperger's syndrome comes from Heather Kuzmich, who was a contestant on America's Next Top Model and had this condition. I'm not sure whether to be more ashamed of my ignorance or the fact that I've watched most seasons of America's Next Top Model. Uh, But I have. And uh, she was actually, I thought, a pretty good advocate. But we thought it best to have somebody on who is much more knowledgeable about this topic, and that would be Lars himself. So, Lars, welcome to the show. Thank you. We are glad that you agreed to come on the show. Now, I know you're in London, but what is your background and where are you from originally? I'm from Sweden, actually. I emigrated from there in 1995 to the UK and then um, lived here and worked for five years. But then I moved to Mexico. Well, I I married. My wife is from Mexico. We moved to Mexico for a couple of years and then we um, moved to the US, to Alaska, Hmm. lived there for six years. And then we moved back here in 2008. I know you've actually delivered a lecture on this very topic before, so we're going to kind of hand the reins over to you and probably interject with a question here and there. But let's start with, before we get into Lovecraft's work, what can you tell us about Asperger's syndrome in general? It's a big topic. To start with is that, as you said earlier, it's a a comparatively unknown disability. It is still very poorly understood. Mm -hmm. Say the scientists can still not really agree on the number of people that are on the spectrum. It's called a spectrum disorder because you have so many levels. So it goes all the way from uh, nonverbal 
non-communicative, very, very serious cases. And I would be on the higher level of Asperger syndrome because on a, on a good day I can pass as, as normal. <laughs> well, now, so, so just to define, what are the uh, chief characteristics of, of uh, Asperger syndrome? The chief characteristic, and that is what, say, is the most noticeable, Say we start with the social. That's one of the things that are noticeable about a person on the spectrum is it's a social ineptitude. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like the sniffles in a cold. It's just a, it's a symptom mm. because there's an underlying cause for that social disadvantages, social awkwardness, perhaps. Social awkwardness is a better word. And that is in the cortex. There is some part in the cortex that really don't function very properly in people on the spectrum. I see in you, you've written in your lecture, not only does social interaction involve enormous amounts of often vague and incomplete information that needs to be constantly processed, but a person with AS also lacks many of the tools to ease the processing which leads to social isolation, often alienation, and ultimately bullying. Is that something you've experienced personally? Uh, yes, yes, um, sadly. And it's all too common for people on the spectrum that we, we can behave in a funny way, plus we experience social isolation. It's all too, all too easy to uh, we become targets for bullies, both in school and at workplace. Mm-hmm. And we also become very easy targets because we don't build these social networks either that people say are very important to have. And you also write another common characteristic is that people with this condition can develop intense special interests. That is the other trait. That is the most common noticeable trait. Intense fascination with, with obscure hobbies. And in my case, Lovecraft is one of them. <laughs> uh, which has gone on ever since I first read my short story in, a, in an anthology, a horror anthology, when I was 12. Uh, I think it was either In the Vault or The Outsider was the first thing I ever read by Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Then I got hooked. I thought, well, this, is a, this, is, this was something really. And then I read The Case of Charles Dexter Vaughan and The Rats in the Walls. And uh, I haven't stopped shaking scenes really. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I can't get enough, really. So after your diagnosis and you realize that that Asperger's was something that you had. How long was it before you made a connection between Lovecraft and, and Asperger's? I took a scholastic interest in my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So I started reading up. The Bible for Asperger's studies is a book by Tony Atwood, the comprehensive guide to Asperger's syndrome or something. Lovecraft is mentioned there. And then I started, well, okay, I mean, a Lovecraftian character, yeah, he's socially isolated, he's a bookish, he's he's a nerd, Mm -hmm. he uh, doesn't have the social connections. And I mean, if you look at, say, Charles Dexter Ward, a very good example, he doesn't really socialize with his compatriots. I mean, he looks for a place in the world by first walking around Providence and getting himself a geographical location, geographical knowledge. And I do recognize that from myself, that whenever I come to a new place, I start exploring. I don't go and knock doors and say, introduce me to people. Uh, (laughs) Well, I think generally you only have to do that if you're a sex offender. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get too far into the specific stories, there was one other characteristic that I found interesting 
something you pointed out from Atwood's text that says persons on the spectrum can be hypersensitive in one or more senses, often touch, sound, and light. Is that something that you've experienced as well? Yeah, I used to have, now I'm a little bit, um, I'm getting up in the years, so my hearing is going, but I used to have exceptional hearing. I mean, I used to not be able to sleep because somebody was turning the blades over in a book in the room next to me. Mm. Wow. That is one example. I'm quite sensitive to touch. Many, many people on the spectrum are very sensitive to smells that's more common or Eyesight, mm. several of my colleagues at the company I work in, they, they walk around with sunglasses just in a normal office environment. Mm. And they sit with um, head headsets, the noise cancelling, just because they cannot mm. handle uh, the normal office sounds. So that was one thing that also struck me then that, I mean, if you look at the Lovecraftian universe, that the sensations of the characters, they are extreme. Mm -hmm. Then people see the the two sailors that they just see Great Cthulhu and die. (laughs) Right. Mm As you often have spoken on the show, that the intense smells that the protagonists of the stories experience. We can't speculate about Lovecraft himself or if he had any of these things going on with him. But it's the characters and his stories that you so strongly identify with for these reasons. Yes. While we don't see connections, well, we don't see obvious connections... And what we see, we are myriads of details. One of the things that is very common that is we compensate with is that we have very good memory, mm-hmm. long-term memory. That me- means that we remember all the nasty, nasty stuff from from the past. Yes, you write here. I myself can get overwhelmed by vivid visual memories of traumatic episodes in my childhood, and you're comparing this to the storyteller in Pickman's model. He can't go into the subway anymore after what he's experienced. That is one. And also Inspector Malone, who he hears the, whenever he hears an organ in right. the Horror at Red Hook, he freezes. Or the character in Dagon, who, who he sees great Dagon worshipping at the monolith. And then he is paralyzed. And I mean, he relives it and relives it for the rest of his life. And he tries alcohol and stronger and stronger d- drugs until he can't cope anymore. It is a type of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's related, yeah. Is that something that's more common with people that have Asperger's? I cannot say it's more common, but it is common that people on the spectrum have PTSD-like symptoms. Hmm. Now, you related the major aspects of Asperger's syndrome to the opening of The Call of Cthulhu. Now, obviously, we've played this on the show multiple times, but bears repeating. Here is Andrew Lehman reading that paragraph. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little. But someday the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. In this paragraph, you find connections to Asperger's syndrome. Could you explain? The Lovecraftian universe consists of many... What we we do get throughout is just snippets. We don't get a coherent whole. 
Mm. It's just snippets here, a little bit of snippet there, a little snippet there, and we don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. What is also throughout the oeuvre, oeuvre of Lovecraft is that we cannot understand what we see. That's a very autism thing that, yeah, we see something and we take a social interaction. I experienced a social interaction and then, after, and then what was that? What happened there? Mm-hmm. And then I need to, need to think for quite a while and uh, has ha- actually has happened years before I understood what happened. Mm. And this is similar to characters in Lovecraft who are unable to describe noises or visual impressions they have. One of the problems with social interaction is, of course, that there are no real fixed rules. It's a lot of it is vague, a lot of it is unsaid, mm-hmm. a lot of it is contradictory, and a lot of it is based on unwritten rules, past experiences. So it becomes very difficult to read, uh, understand social interactions. What, what is hinted also in this passage is that I think I and I know many of us on the spectrum, we crave is comprehension. Right. The twist, you know, of course, in Lovecraft's universe is that, well, with comprehension comes insanity and oblivion. Mm-hmm. And that might make it even more intensely frightening for us on the spectrum, because once we understand, when we, then we are, we are lost, then we are gone. And losing your own identity is very frightening because I don't have much of a social identity. I only have my own identity. So if I lose my own identity, well, then, then I'm gone. I'm nothing. Hmm. So very frightening, but also very fascinating. Yeah. It's so neat that in that opening of Call of Cthulhu, it has those major aspects, the inability to connect facts, the inability to comprehend a complex world, problem of getting too easily overwhelmed by too much information. I love the way you are able to point that out so concisely. I'm reading from your lecture. I didn't just come up with that on my own. <laughs> we see the world as fragmented. It's just, a, it's just a series of bits and pieces that they have no connection. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do all the time is to rebuild these connections, build these connections. Sometimes we misunderstand things completely. Okay, I misunderstand things completely because I make their own connections. But there is, of course, then one of these compensations that we can make unexpected connections. It's like making new discoveries. I mean, say uh, Einstein, who he makes this connection that the, the constant C in Maxwell's equations, the velocity of light, and then, okay, if the velocity of light is constant, and then from that on, he goes on and develops the, the special theory of relativity. Einstein, of course, same as Lovecraft, you cannot diagnose people that are not with us anymore, but uh, Einstein is also one character that is a strong candidate for being yeah. on the spectrum. Yeah, well, this to me sounds like, so some of the connections that you can make if you are faced with this disability are actually could be revelatory or helpful ways that people aren't usually thinking. And that that puts me in mind of they say that a lot of uh, famous artists actually had no depth perception. They were monocular, if that's the right word for it. They, They didn't perceive depth the same as everybody else. So the way that they look at the world, they really had to use shadow and light to understand how far away or close something might be so that when they paint, the ability they have to really give dimension to a painting is based on what you might perceive as a, as a problem. Yes. I was listening to a lecture by a NASA astronaut. Uh, he, his name was Ischel Lindgren, but despite his Swedish name, he's actually Taiwanese U.S. 
But yeah. he said mm. this, that what NASA for the International Space Station, the astronauts, they want there, they're actually, they want introverts there because they want people that actually need to think about the social interaction. <laughs> they don't want the extroverts that just do their thing. But uh, I mean, say, for instance, my example here that I'm rather surprised that nobody seems to have spotted, to me at least, very obvious similarities and correlation between the Lovecraftian universe and how uh, have an Asperger, a person on the Asperger spectrum sees the world. So that might be said from, I can say from my own example, that is an unexpected connection. Is there any work out there that's tackled this uh, topic? Only my own paper in Lovecraftian's Proceedings number two. There is a book by Jennifer McGilvy Myers, but she writes about whether Lovecraft was on the spectrum himself. She doesn't write about his stories. Speaking of Lovecraft's work, I thought it was really interesting. I was I read your, your lecture where you talk about how Henry Akeley from The Whisper in Darkness yeah. had sort of attributes of somebody that might be autistic, where he was very educated, but a recluse. He had not very much worldly wisdom. He surrounded himself with the wilderness and mysteries and secrets. He is a bit in an Asperger situation because it is a place where he has lived for generations. But at the same time, he is surrounded, yeah, as you said, by this forest that is dark and full of mysteries. The forest also is now dominated by the aliens, the Migo, and their hench henchmen. So even though that should be his place, it isn't. He's the alien there because they have made it their own. Yeah. And that is very often, uh, say, how, uh, how I've experienced that even in familiar situations, I, I, am, I, I am the outsider. I'm, I don't feel at home right. in the normal situations. I mean, it's kind of funny. Another word for Asperger is alien word syndrome, because we are kind of explorers in an alien world. Wow. And th as some kind of anthropologists. And there you have the Akeley. I mean, he's, he's exploring the area that actually should be familiar to him. I would say that Wilmarth himself, actually, I, I, I was always surprised in that story how easily he falls for Akeley's manipulations once he's been sort of taken over by the Migo. He clearly doesn't get cues that I would have gotten that things are not going well or that he's, you know, when he's asked to bring all of his evidence out to see him, he seems to fall for that pretty easily and uh, maybe not pick up on what's actually going on there. That's also typical Asperger's traits. The reader does see the clues, but right. Wilmoth, he, he doesn't. While he can remember the letters verbatim, he cannot really see what's in them. And that is, of course, another aspect of um, Asperger that is called theory of mind. And theory of mind is very much how to read intention, to understand emotions, both internal and external. And that is something that is lacking in many people on the spectrum. Reading between the lines in the letter, I mean, Wilmot seems to be incapable of doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. He doesn't 
notice the change in demeanor. Well, he reflects upon it, but he has kind of think, oh, well, that's what he does, <laughs> the good mm-hmm. old Akeley. I also thought it was really interesting in your talk that you speak of Nathaniel Peasley from uh, The Shadow Out of Time and how he is this, this character who is out of sorts. His family abandons him. He doesn't belong in his, this world anymore after he is a victim of this body swapping. One thing uh, Peasley doesn't have, he doesn't have body coordination because the, he's controlled by, well, the, the, this alien, the, the great race lives in him. That is unfortunately very typical of people on the spectrum, that we can be very, very clumsy and lack dexterity. He speaks in a very tilted, stilted way. He uses archaic expressions, which is also something that many people on the spectrum do. We uh, pick up a lot of our language from books. Then we try, we start speaking like books. <laughs> and for children, it's called the little professor syndrome. Uh, and I do remember in one of your early episodes, you had you had got a, a message from a, a person from Japan who said that mm-hmm. is Lovecraft a good way of learning, in, reading Lovecraft? Is that a good <laughs> way of learning English? <laughs> <laughs> and you and you very politely said that well if you want to speak like a 17th century english man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wouldn't be a good idea in these examples that we've been talking about in a more general sense I think that what you relate to in Lovecraft is the fact that his characters are all outsiders. You said that The Outsider was an early story that you read. That's part of the fascination. The characters are easy to relate to, but it's uh, also the universe. It's the Lovecraftian universe itself that is um, really dark, scary, disjointed, incomprehensible place, full of beings that seem to understand much more than you do. I think that was might have been the first thing that drew me to Lovecraft, because what is so intensely frightening in Lovecraft is that it's the horror. It doesn't intrude. The horror is in the nature of the universe. Yeah. You can't defeat it. Uh, you, you, you can't collect a pose of gung-ho fighters to defeat it, or you can't defeat it by strong family ties human ingenuity because it's in the nature it's in the nature of the universe and and that is part of what is how it is to be on the spectrum that it's the nature of the universe that is frightening wow we're drawing close to a close here i just wanted to ask when we talked to you on the roundtable in 2013 you said you hadn't been diagnosed yet so this is a this is a pretty recent thing i just wonder what led you to seek out the diagnosis or at least to seek out the help that allowed you to get the diagnosis Throughout my life, I did feel like an outsider. And I was aware that I didn't really comprehend what was going on around me. But I got by. I got my degrees and I got jobs that often because of the of the social aspects of the job, I, I was not able to hold on to them. I moved from Sweden. Sweden is a very, very conformist society. If you're on the spectrum, of course, you don't really conform because you don't really know how to. Mm. And then I moved to the UK, which is then famous for being, ex- was famous for being accepting of eccentricity. <laughs> That's why Chris moved there. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I'm not involved in this. I'm not involved in this. <laughs> 
<laughs> and here I was just seen as eccentric and I have uh, much easier living around here. It's, it's very typical of people on the spectrum. They move away from where they grew up to somewhere else. And it's very common moving to the UK. My wife fell ill, severely ill. And I was left to be her carer. Mm. It took a very, very large toll on me. It was very stressful. And that's why we like being on our own and we don't like changes because we get stressed too easily. Now I got very stressed. My symptoms started started getting, they, they got exacerbated. And in the end, it was actually my wife that started she read, a, read an article just by random, just by chance, she read an article and she he said, now, doesn't that look like my husband? <laughs> and then she, uh, <laughs> she had me do a, first she did a online test herself uh, on, for me in proxy. And then she had me do the test and it was pretty, pretty well clear that I was well inside the parameters for being on the Asperger spectrum. And I got diagnosed. Uh, so we uh, we went to our GP and managed to persuade the GP to uh, send me for a formal diagnosis. And that was in 2014. But uh, I did develop many survival strategies because I had been seen by counselors quite a lot. One of them came very close mm-hmm by saying that, yeah, many people don't like you because you almost know how to behave. Oh, I see, yeah. Yeah, so it was that friction, that tiniest friction that was grating on people. And sadly, most people on the spectrum live alone, male and female. I mean, there are still, was it six times as many men as women being diagnosed? And that is not because it's not prevalent in women. It's rather that in women, it's even more poorly understood because they women have less mm. extreme symptoms than men. But say out of uh, out of 50 consultants at my company, uh, only two are women. Uh, and that is not because women are less mm. competent or anything, uh, but it's rather that they're probably... There are many women there that don't understand that they are on the spectrum. This was leading to was that the ones that have a partner, it's often the partner that finds out that they they have they are on the spectrum. Mm. And I had seen a number of counselors, none had spotted it, but then my wife, after having been exposed to me for many, many years, she finally got the puzzle. Right. Well, thank goodness. And I'm so glad that, that you were able to learn more about the condition and, and see that, you know, it wasn't something wrong with you. You weren't doing anything wrong, in other words. Yeah, yeah that's better putting it. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's face it. I, I, some people don't see it as a disability. And yes, for some people, they have such superpowers that it is compensated. But for most of us on the spectrum, we don't have those superpowers. Mm-hmm. We don't. We are not super intelligent. We just are the normal run-of-the-mill geeks. And for us, it is a disability. Well, Lars, this has been so fascinating. And I want to thank you for being so open with us about your experience. I'm sure it might not be that easy for you to talk about these things. Well, I think it is important. So even if it is, even if I'm very nervous, somewhat shy it's more important to talk about it because i feel for the people that 
the less fortunate people on the spectrum. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show and suggesting this topic. That's all we've got for this bonus episode. But if folks want to uh, ask more questions or learn more, uh, message us and we can uh, transfer those questions onto Lars and uh, hopefully get back to you on it. For now, that's all we have. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. And I am Lars Backstrom. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. Hey!